Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thursday, May 28th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined as always by our tribe beat writer, Paul Hoynes. Paul, the latest in the back and forth between Major League Baseball players and owners came down late last night. The Players Union, represented by a committee, an executive committee, uh, Max Scherzer, actually, Nationals pitcher, put it up on Twitter. The response uh, that would indicate that the players are not going to make a counteroffer to the economic proposal put forth earlier this week by the, the owners. So where do we stand right now as we move forward, and, and what's the next step in the negotiation process? <laughs> I'm not sure what the next step is, Joe. <laughs> what, what do the play- I mean, if, uh, if you're going to negotiate, you've got to make another proposal one way or the other. I mean, do they make a proposal on the length of the season? Do they make a proposal on uh, – uh, you know, deferred payments, um, you know, there has to be a little give and take here to get something done, or are they just going to, are the players just going to throw up their hands and, and wait for, you know, a, another proposal from the owners? I, I, I'm not sure. It looks like uh, at, at some point, either by the end of this week or early next week, that the players themselves are going to make their own economic proposal or, or their own overall proposal for a return to play uh, and either ignore the economic uh, you know, changes offered by the, the owners last week or uh, you know, doing something completely different. Uh, either way, they've sort of dug in their heels on this uh, prorated salary agreement that was reached in, in March. Uh, they're saying they're not going to take uh, additional salary uh, cuts. The, the sliding scale uh, offer that was made by the, the owners uh, earlier this week would would include you know salary cuts heavy heavy hits to uh, the players that make the most money the Mike Trouts and the Garrett Coles while uh, players who make the league minimum or around a million dollars a year would see less of uh, still see cuts but but see less of a cut than, than the players at the top end of the, the pay scale uh, you know that seems to it seems like that proposal is not going to to fly with the the union leadership. We've seen a lot of responses on social media from players who are, are just, you know, and, and, and the response that was, was reported from players was that they they just don't see a reason why they should have to, to give in on this salary demand. Yeah. I think the players were, uh, you know, s- some players were kind of shocked by it, that, 
the play the owners would come in with a low ball offer like they did uh as you know you know, you know I've read some stories where uh they say it's like going into salary arbitration you know the first uh the first offer to a player is you know it it looks like you're the worst player in the world uh so and but you know through negotiation maybe it can you know uh it, it you you can find common ground and I think that's what we're seeing here, Joe. We're, you know, we're seeing a little back and forth. We're seeing a little uh, a saber rattling by both sides. Um, you know, if they want to play baseball, eventually they're going to have to work out a deal. And uh, you know, obviously, I think the the from what I hear, the health and 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 the safety pr- protocols are you know something that that can be uh, agreed upon. Uh, but you know, the big issue is money and. Um, you know, and I think the players would, would, you know, obviously they're going to have to take a prorated p- portion of their salary. And uh, if I think if they would settle for the prorated salary, you know, portion that they agreed upon on March 27th, if they could get that, I think uh, it would be full full steam ahead. And, they, and you know, they'd be uh, preparing for, to play baseball. But obviously in the owners' minds, you know, they need more of a cut, you know, with no fans in the stands. Um, so, you know, that's where we are right now. It's, it's interesting. Uh, Scherzer in his, uh, post on social media last night said something about, you know, he, he thinks that if there was documentation provided by major league baseball, basically the the idea of, you know, opening up their books, which we've, we've already said major league baseball owners are not going to do, but if, he, he called for specific documents being released to the public or being made public that would indicate it, that would help in the debate, you know, that would indicate why the, the owners are asking for this much more money as a, as a give back. Uh, you know, I, I, I find it hard, find it kind of hard to argue with Scherzer on if, if there were more transparent about why they needed more money from the players back. Uh, you know, I, 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 I got to believe that showing those kind of documents would solve some of this debate. Yeah, I, I think so too, Joe, but I, I just don't happen. see it happening. I think they did send them some documents, but, uh, you know, I just think, uh, you know, even if they send them the documents, you're going to have 15 guy different, uh, you know, accountants looking at them. And one guy is going to say this, one guy's going to say that. And you, you're always, there's always going to be that, distrust factor in the back of your mind that the owners aren't telling you everything and uh, they're, they're, you know, they've got a Swiss bank account stashed with cash somewhere. So, you know, you're never, I don't think these guys are ever, you know, will ever really both sides will ever lay their cards on the table and just, you know, try to negotiate in, in a, in, in just in a clean, clear manner. And, you know, I guess, you know, most negotiations probably are like this, you know, mm-hmm. back and forth and some tension. And, uh, you know, we just we just get to see it played out every day be, because, uh, you know, it's so public. Right. Uh, one of the things, speaking of uh, being so public, uh, one thing we noticed last night, uh, Trevor Bauer, former Indians pitcher, and uh, sort of a mouthpiece for uh, certain factions of the, the Players Association, uh, came out blasting Scott Boris, the uh, the the med- mega agent, and and he said he's been hearing rumors from all all corners of the association that you know Boris is meddling in the 
the, the negotiations between the, the union and uh, the, the league. And Boris, really, he controls, uh, you know, three or four of the guys on the, the executive committee and the majority of the, the highest paid players in the game. I think in the, uh, this past offseason, he brought in $1 billion worth of, of new contracts uh, yeah. under his, uh, you know, management group. Uh, this is a very powerful person in these negotiations who's not even a part of these negotiations. Yeah. Well, Boros is all, you know, Scott is always working behind the scenes. Right. He's got a lot of pull with the union, a lot of pull with the players and he's a pro he's a player advocate. So I don't know what Bauer's talking about. What, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe Boros didn't want to re- represent, uh, 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 Bauer or something <laughs> like that. Maybe there's some, uh, you know, there's some hard feelings in the past, but Boros, you know, I think he is, he's always been solidly on the side of the players. Obviously he has his own agenda, you know, he's probably trying to push that. He always has, but he's a, he's a player advocate as far as I'm concerned. What's uh yeah. What, what, what's your impression of, of Boris as a, a, you know, you've been around him, you've, You've been to those uh, those press conferences on the staircases at the uh, at the the winter meetings. Do you think he's got the best interests of baseball, or you know, some other agenda on on his mind? Well, I think he's got the best interests of his clients. Uh, you know, that's who he represents. If if you're if you're represented by Boris, you know you're going to get his full attention or his you know, all his, his full attention of this, his company, they're going to take care of you as a player. Uh, he's, he's on, I mean, he's, he, he's, to me, he's a brilliant guy. He's, a, he, um, he just, you know, he's kind of revolutionized the art of negotiating, you know, mm-hmm. he, he really has. And uh, all these, uh, you know, these 40, 50 page, 60 page, uh, you know, dossiers that, that they hand out at the, at the meetings, you know, when he goes to negotiate with the player, you know, that, the, I don't think that ever happened before it was before, before Boros was there. I mean, and he is, he's, he's, he knows the game. He played the game. He's uh, he's a smart guy. And, uh, and I think he frustrates the owners because he's kind of, he's one, a lot of times he's one step ahead of guys and, and he, you know, he has his ways. He'll, Sometimes he bypasses a GM and goes to the owner to, to get a player signed. He used to do that a lot in Detroit. Um, so there's, there's, you know, and he, and he's, you know, he, he wants the best for his clients. So I, I, I can't, I can't fault him for that. All right. All right. Well, uh, as they continue to, to make progress or no progress or, you know, uh, stand at an impasse with these negotiations, we'll, we'll keep track of that. Uh, hopefully with the, the target of, like we said, a, a soft target of June 1st as a as sort of a, a deadline and looking at uh, June 10th as, as the possibility of, of spring training uh, or not spring training, but exhibition games coming in uh, back here to Cleveland. Uh, you know, we'll continue to follow that. I uh, wanted to move on uh, a couple of different topics here. Uh, let's, let's jump in and take some questions from our listeners uh, on subtext, it's uh, 216-208-4346. Send your text messages to that to subscribe to subtext, uh, 399 a month to get the latest from Paul and myself, uh, as well as access to uh, a way you can submit questions here on the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast, uh, the exclusive way to do so. 
Uh, Paul, what do we have uh, from our, our listeners this week? Okay, uh, this is from uh, Craig from Perry. If a player, a player willingly skips this season, as uh, Blake Snell has said he would, he would, he's considering doing, does that player then become a free, a free agent? I, I got to believe he would still be under team control for, or, or whatever contract he uh, um, you know, it was signed to. I, I don't know if there's a question if he would earn his, uh, his service time if he willingly decides to step away and, and not play uh, for, for either health reasons or because he's, he's not getting paid what he, he thinks he, he deserves. But that's, that's not a way to make yourself a free agent is just by not playing when you're under contract or under team control. Right. I think this is something that, uh, you know, I listened to uh, uh, Rob Manfred uh, on an interview uh, recently, and he, he was asked this, this very question. And he said, if a player feels on, it feels, you know, feels like he's putting his health at risk uh, and he doesn't want to play, he, he doesn't have to play. They're not going to force him to play. You know, they would try to, you know, I think work with him and, and, uh, tell him about, you know, the safety precautions they are taking. If he, if he, you know, if he eventually wanted to come back and join the team, uh, I think they would, they would, you know, accommodate him. But, you know, obviously you're, you're talking about, a, you know, some, you know, some salary issues too. So I don't know. I think that would have to be worked out if he's not going to play. Does he, does he still get paid? You know, that, that seems to be a, an issue that would uh, have to be, uh, you know, negotiated on. Right, yeah, I, I think there's a clear difference between Carlos Carrasco, who's, you know, immunocompromised. If he says, "Hey, I'm not coming near the the facility. I'm not coming to to play games or anything like that," uh, I, I could see them having an exception or you know negotiating something there. But if you're Blake Snell and you're saying, "Well, if I'm not if I'm not making my full, you know, agreed to prorated contract, I'm not playing at all." Well. Uh, sorry, but you're not going to get to become a free agent on the end of that. Blake Snell would be one of the most sought after free agents the next year and, and probably make twice that much money, uh, sure. you know, uh, on, on the, the other side of that. So, no, why, why would a guy get an advantage from that? I, I don't see that. Okay. Uh, here's a question. Uh, Cleveland, uh, I think Cleveland could use a dominant closer. Brad, Brad Hand has done a nice job, but his contract is coming to an end. Uh, and um, and I and uh, what what do you think of the idea of developing Carlos Carrasco as a dominant closer? He obviously has the stuff. He's under control uh, for several more years, and uh, the t- and the tribe has depth in starting pitching, and they could they should be able to replace Carlos uh, with no problem. That's from uh, Roger Jordan in Bray, California. Uh, I would. I would say Brad Hand's really been a dominant closer, uh, with, with the exception of a, a stretch during last season where his, his arm went dead. Uh, you know, the, the first half of the season, he's been an all-star three years in a row, I believe. Uh, he's, he's been pretty dominant. Uh, so as long as he's, he's healthy and feeling good, I think they've, you know, they, they ride Brad Hand until the end of that contract. Uh, you're more likely to get uh, a, a young closer with with great stuff who's going to go up and down for for a bit. But I, I mean, have up and have ups and downs for a little bit, not go up and down. Um, but yeah. you know, they, they've got two or three candidates in that regard. 
as far as Carlos Carrasco goes, uh, I think you would take away from what Carlos Carrasco does well, and that's, you know, he can go deep into ball. When he's healthy, he can go deep into ball games for you. He's a horse. I don't see why you would only want him for, for one inning. Yeah, his stuff is great, but his stuff is great for, you know, five, six, seven, eight innings. I, I think he's a guy who, could, who led the league in complete games two years ago. Yeah, I think, you know, I like, I like Carlos as a starter. Um, you know, I, I think he's a valuable asset in the bullpen. He's had success pitching out of the bullpen. I haven't seen him pitch in the ninth inning. You know, that's, that's, uh, that's kind of important for a closer. But, uh, you know, I think it all depends on his health and where he is physically. But uh, right now, I, I would think if, if Carlos is going to pitch, he's going to be in the rotation. And, you know, Hand, like you said, Joe, Hand has done a nice job. He has, uh, you know, this is his last – he signed through this year, 2020. He has a club option for 2021. So, uh, you know, we'll have to see how the Indians deal with him. Uh, but we also uh, – they also have, uh, you know, Emmanuel Class A and James Karinchak, right. who could be, you know, future closers. So, uh, you know, I think uh, they're in a pretty good spot. Even, you know, I, I don't know if you just make Carlos a closer – but, you know, eventually maybe, you know, I don't know. I, I, I like him. I, I like him as a, as a starter, obviously, and maybe down the road a little bit if, you know, he, you move him to the pen. But right now, you know, he's, he's one of the better starters in the game when, when everything is going right for him. Yeah. I, I, when, like I said, that, that's the caveat. When he's healthy, he, he can get you deep into ball games and, you know, give you a chance to win every day. I don't see – why you would want to mess with him in that regard. Uh, eventually, you know, he's not the youngest uh, guy on the staff, but the Indians have him locked up now uh, for several more seasons after he, with the contract extension. You don't give a contract extension like they gave him in the uh, uh, last season and, and think, oh, well, this is our, you know, 34-year-old closer of the future, something, something like that. I don't, I don't see that happening. Okay, this uh, this this is from Sean Dog. He goes, why why didn't the Indians protest Emmanuel Class A's eighty game suspension with the season uh, reportedly eighty two games long? Um, you know, his original eighty games eighty game suspension would have been half a, half the season in in a hundred about half the season in a hundred sixty two game season. Why wouldn't they uh, try to reduce it to forty one games? in an 82 game season the the suspension is 80 games it's not half a season it, it, that's not that's not how the agreement works it's the the agreement dictates that the suspension is 80 games it's not you know based on the length of a season if a season goes longer or shorter or whatever uh so yeah you're not going to get a reduction or an adjustment based on that you, you do the time you do the crime you have to do the time i guess is is the the point here and, yeah, and hey, and, and he's gonna—he was gonna be out with a, a shoulder injury anyway, so it's not like uh, they were expecting him to come right back in and and, and you know perform right away. So I—I uh, I, I don't see any reason for the Indians to to sort of protest or appeal that that decision. Yeah, they really can't. They're—they're they're yeah. not allowed. I mean, the, it's the player. The player has the right to appeal uh, when he tests positive, but the team isn't involved in this. Right. Uh, so the player, you know, the player goes, uh, you know, he, he can go to arbitration. He can appeal 
the fine. And I'm pretty sure Class A did that. You know, most of these guys do go through an appeal process once they test positive. And, uh, and then what, what the penalty is, the penalty is, it's what, I think it's, it's three strikes and you're out, right? 80, right. 60, and you're banned for life. So, uh, you know, the Indians really had, uh, you know, they, they couldn't have protested this even if they wanted to. Right. All right. Well, uh, as, as we wrap up the question and answer portion, uh, we, we wanted to look back on uh, this date in Indians history. Uh, Joe Carter hits his, uh, collects his second three home run game against the Red Sox back in 1987 on, on May 28th, 1987. Uh, Joe Carter, just, uh, first of all, just one of the nicest guys you will ever, ever meet or be around as uh, just a, a super swell guy, but also a, a versatile and, and really, uh, you know, impactful on a lineup sort of, uh, player uh, who was with the Indians for, for how many years he was there, uh, I believe six years with the tribe, uh, you know, played a, a bunch of different positions, mostly in the outfield, uh, and, and then was involved in one of the, the biggest trades in franchise history uh, when, he, when he departed. Yeah, I mean, I, he, he was, you know, I remember uh, when, when they got Carter, uh, Andre Thornton was on the team, and, and talking to Andre, he goes, you know, this is the first time we've ever had, you know, he was talking about the team, like he'd been with the Indians a while. Mm-hmm. And Andre was saying, this is the first time I can remember we've ever really gotten an athlete, you know, like, like Carter. This was, you know, Carter, I, I saw him do 30-30, you mm-hmm. know, one year. I saw him get 200 hits. You know, he was, he was a great player. And I don't know what happened with the Cubs, why they traded him. Obviously, they needed a pitcher, you know. They well, it, was, it, was Rick, it was Rick Sutcliffe. And, and yeah. He won the Cy Young that year. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it was a good deal for the Indians. They got Mel Hall and Carter. And Joe just, uh, you know, he really blossomed as, as in, with the Indians. I think he led the American League in RBIs one year. Mm-hmm. Just, a, you know, really a talented, talented guy. And, and uh, you know, he could run. He, was, he had power. He was a big guy. He hit for average. Um, just, uh, just fun to watch. And, and like you were saying, Joe, he was involved in when the Indians uh, traded him to San Diego, they, got, uh, they received uh, Sandy Alomar and, and, and Chris James and uh, Carlos Baerga back. And, uh, you know, Baerga and, and Alomar were the building blocks to that great run in, in the 1990s. So, you know, he, he was a gift that kept on giving. And then, you know, he went on and, you know, had really had a great career in Toronto, had a, the second part of his career in Toronto and, you know, won the World Series with that big home run. I, I, was, I was at the – it was the Skydome then right. when, he, when he hit it and uh, covering that series. And uh, it, was, it was a big moment. Yeah, five all-star appearances. He spent one, one season in San Diego. San Diego flipped him to Toronto, and then he spent seven years in Toronto, five all-star appearances, uh, finished third in the MVP, MVP voting in 1992. Uh, he, he had an all-around a great career, and, and I always followed him after he left Cleveland. You know, I, I thought he was, he was one of my favorite players when he was with the Indians in the 80s, but then, you know, as he moved on to Toronto, every success that he had there, you know, it was like, hey, that, that guy used to play for the Indians. I, I you know, I'm real happy to see him. Uh, have a lot of success, um, but yeah, the, the, his knack for hitting, getting three uh, three home run games. He did it tw- once in 1986 against Boston, 
Then he did it on May 28th, 1987 against Boston again the next year. And then he did it two more times in 1989. He had three home run games. Uh, I, I think he finished his career with five different three home run games. Uh, and that's tied for, for second all time in, in, in the big leagues. Uh, I think Sammy Sosa was one of the other players that had six uh, three home run games to his credit. But, you know, at, when, when success comes in bunches like that, it's, it's kind of fun to see. Yeah, he loved playing in Fenway Park, man. He loved the monster. He did that, that. He zeroed in on that every, you know, when 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 the Indians played there. He was. I think he might have. I don't know if he still does, but he might have the most home runs of a visiting player at 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 Fenway. At least at some point in his career with the Indians, he did. He was he was that guy. He 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 loved Fenway. Right. Sort of like Edwin Encarnacion in uh, in Minnesota, the way he he loves hitting there. So, I got a right. funny story for Carter with Carter. What do you so got? I got uh, this kid. Uh, one a high school kid is shadowing me one one day at the ballpark, and so you know, <laughs> you know, we're ta- he's talking, asking me about the job. We go down to the locker room, and uh, you know, I, I'm after the game. I'm showing him around. We're talking. I'm talking to different guys. And I go up to Carter, and uh, and uh, the kid. I introduce the kid to him, and uh, and Joe is talking to me, and and he looks at me, and he goes, "Hoinsey, you know what? Your fly's down. Why don't you zip your fly up?" <laughs> I've been walking around. <laughs> okay, a that does not surprise me one bit that you've been walking around the clubhouse with your fly down. B that's that's great. So so in front of this this high school shadow yeah. that you had, he does yeah. that. Big time, big time baseball writer. Oh yeah, <laughs> pros pro Paul Hoynes in the in the clubhouse. I'm sure. And that and that kid, Buster Olney. No, <laughs> that kid went on to become Tim Curtin. No, I I just that that's great. Oh Hoynesy. All right. Well. We're going to make sure our fly is up for the, uh, the rest of the week here. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. Uh, Paul, great to talk to you again, and we'll catch you tomorrow. All right, Joe.